Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Good evening, Khuyanand Mulweni, and a hearty welcome to the Shahida Kali Show. I'm very excited because tonight I speak with a very special guest, and we're having a telephonic link up with Professor Christine Lochner, who is the co director of. MRC's Unit on Anxiety and Stress Disorders, Department of Psychiatry at the University of Stellenbosch, and some very exciting um, things that are happening in this unit uh, that of which Professor will be telling us about it. So let me greet Professor and welcome her to the program. Good evening, Professor Christine Lochner, and welcome to the program. Thank you, Samira. Delighted to be uh, to be here. Yeah, I'm actually very, very excited to speak with you. And I, I'm, you know, just to tell our listeners that we will, for example, in more detail, be speaking about obsessive compulsive disorder in this week, and then next week we're hoping to focus on social anxiety disorders and social phobia. So, you know, just so that they have a sense of what we will be talking about, additionally to what is happening that is exciting in your unit. So perhaps to First, start off by telling us what's happening in the unit and the types of research that's happening there, please. Well, so, you know, there's a, there's a whole a lot of uh, things going on, um, and our focus, we've got different uh, research, uh, research uh, projects, obviously. Yes. Before I go on, let me just apologize. My voice sounds terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I actually caught flu oh, last week. Oh, so Please excuse. Yeah. <laughs> Shame. Well, I hope it's not going to be difficult for you and perhaps strain your voice. What no, does no, it no, sound? No worries. It, it will be okay? It's fine, fine, Shaida. I would, um, I would like to... Uh, uh, request that we actually speak about our social anxiety work uh, that we're doing uh, tonight, and, and that's absolutely fine. The, skip to the OCD work next weekend. That's absolutely fine. What I would like is, especially with your your voice, you know, being in the condition that it is, yes. if you can speak as close to the microphone and into the to the, uh, the microphone, the phone as possible, yes, it sure. will it will mean that the quality of your voice will come through a lot. Okay, okay. Right? I mean, I can hear that you're speaking closer to the phone and the mouthpiece of the phone now. Is that better? That's absolutely better. We can hear you clearly. Um, uh, You know, I thought thought when you answered, I thought, wow, what a husky voice. Oh, my word. (laughs) Normally, it's it's, it's much higher and sweetie. Yeah. uh, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be absolutely fine. If you will then tell us a little bit of, you know, um, the projects that are happening and the research that's happening in the unit that is particularly pertaining to the program in which we wanting to reach out to possible uh, participants. Participants. Yes, yes. yes. So we, we've got a whole lot of different uh, projects with different foci. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, originally the unit centered around, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder, yeah. social anxiety disorder. Yeah. But in recent years, we've, you know, obviously we had to expand, so we now include interesting things like HIV, mm-hmm. um, um, uh, uh, research on hair pulling disorder, gambling disorder, mm-hmm. even tech, uh, you know, and, and all of these projects include 
fascinating aspect. You know, it's the clinical aspects that we look at, yeah. the genetic underpinnings, mm-hmm. we do neuroimaging, yeah. so it's, uh, and, and even some studies we do treatment. So today, I will, or this evening, I will mention the work that we, that we currently do on social anxiety disorder, okay. which I find fascinating. All right, um, I'm sure. And so you're doing the, you know, getting to understand more about social anxiety disorder and then also how that would inform your treatment. Is that what absolutely. the research is absolutely. about? Great, no, absolutely great. I think with most, most of these research projects, you know, the yes. aim is obviously to gain as much information yeah. and insight as possible, but also, you know, not only to, to benefit the participants, but also mm-hmm. in future uh, have our findings translate into better treatments. Right, you know, for right. everyone. Right, that's absolutely great. I just want to uh, speak a little bit about, you know, the the research before we get into social anxiety disorder and social phobia as the disorders per se. Mm-hmm. Perhaps just to speak a little bit about what are you wanting to achieve from this program in terms of, um, you know, participants and explaining to them what is happening and how they can actually be a part of the program. Okay. I think that's a wonderful place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that this particular project, it started in January already, mm-hmm. and we are looking for 15 uh, participants with social anxiety disorder, yeah. uh, also known as social phobia, yeah. and then 15 healthy controls, you know, uh, people be, uh, without social anxiety. Yeah. And uh, they should be 18 years or older, mm-hmm. but younger than 55. Okay. And they should be right-handed. Yeah, and uh, they shouldn't have a history of, you know, a, a brain injury or or current uh, medical conditions such as diabetes. You know, things that could affect the brain scans mm-hmm. because it entails uh, this. This project actually entails uh, quite a number of different facets. Um, okay. So, so we would want. Uh, um, participants to be as homogenous as possible. That's why we include only um, right-handed participants, you know, for instance. Okay. So, uh, so, so when you say homogenous, I haven't used that word in a long time. I would like for you to just explain to our listeners what you would mean in relation to the fact that you have specified certain things that you would not want present or want present. Yeah. Please. So, so obviously we would like uh, the 15 patients with social anxiety to be as similar as possible. in terms of their uh, uh, current status, you know, say, um, say their handedness or yeah. uh, education level, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that if there are differences between the control group and the social yes. anxiety disorder group, that we can ascribe it to social anxiety and not to anything else. Right. So that's why we'd, we would want uh, people to be as similar as possible as similar. In, in their respective groups. Or and gender? Doesn't matter. Doesn't We've got matter. a whole lot okay. of uh, female participants thus far. I think yeah. females are uh, much more keen on, on, I don't know, participation or they may have more time. I don't know. Maybe the males are too shy to call. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But we've had uh, much more um, 
response from ladies than, than from men. Okay. I'm going to ask you, because we need to take commercial news, but, you know, to hold the answer, I'd like to ask the question of when people phone, contact you, do you perhaps have a form that they have to complete in which you can have them tick off, no, I don't have diabetes, I don't have this, I haven't had a brain injury, etc. Um, and please hold the answer while we take commercial news. Stay with us. Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape. 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 Shahida Kali and I'm speaking with the co-director at, of the MRC unit on anxiety and stress disorders department of psychiatry at the University of Stellenbosch Professor Christine Lochner and we're focusing on the research that's happening at the in this unit as well as um, touching on social anxiety disorder and social phobia which is the focus of the research of which you can actually be a part of so let's just ask the question um, Professor if when someone contacts you, will there be a questionnaire or a a process through which they will be asked certain questions in order to establish the similarity of your participants? Yes, indeed, uh, Shahira. I think that is probably the most important part um, of 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 uh, before you participate or mm-hmm. before you can get be or be included. Yeah. Um, so there will be a, a questionnaire either administered by me uh, personally or by my assistant, mm-hmm. who is Leanne Tallyard. Mm-hmm. And um, so we will ask this person whether they think they've got social anxiety disorder or whether they've been diagnosed with it before. It doesn't matter if they haven't been diagnosed. You know, uh, we are fully capable of doing that. But if they think, you know, if they think they have a problem with so- social interaction or yeah. the situations, then... Um, they're welcome to call in. So we'll ask all sorts of questions, you know, the age, um, whether they have any major health problems such as um, diabetes or a serious medical illness uh, or a previous brain injury. Uh, they can't participate if they have metal implants such as pacemakers because it affects the MRI uh, scan. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll ask whether they are claustrophobic, obviously, because it includes a brain imaging component. Yes. You know, we, we cannot include people who get anxious uh, in small spaces. Right. Um, they should be right-handed. And obviously, we ask how much caffeine do they use? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, too much also affects the brain scans. Mm-hmm. And also, we would like to not include people with comorbid conditions, which okay. means anything in addition to the 
to social anxiety. Okay, that and that was... also confuse the, the, the data. Right. I was actually going to ask that question. If someone has a dual diagnosis, perhaps depression, um, yes. you know, and, and even PTSD for that matter, yes. you know, and that, that perhaps resulted in social anxiety disorder. Yes. But what I wanted to ask is what about co-diagnosis that has a, a physiological basis? You, you've mentioned diabetes, so there will be certain mm. um, certain conditions that will that will exclude the person from the process. Yes, okay. uh, indeed, we've had, for instance, one participant already mm-hmm. who were excluded because of uh, some kidney um, kidney Difficult. disease. Mm-hmm. Who uh, it, uh, you know that excluded him from participation. Okay. So there are certain medical conditions yes. which would definitely interfere with with. Uh, mirror imaging and that we don't want obviously that would confuse the finding okay just another question on that because i think i'm I'm asking these technical questions because Mm. of um, listeners being able to identify okay i fit and therefore i can phone you know and hence my uh, you know further questioning is would the acuteness or severity of the diagnosis of social phobia or social anxiety disorder will that play a role Actually, you know, if you have, uh, if the person has um, social anxiety disorder, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter the severity. Okay. You know, as long as they've got a primary condition, um, or uh, one and only condition of social anxiety disorder, yeah. which interferes with their functioning, yeah. they are, you know, they are included. Right. I, I would imagine it isn't a very uh, easy task to find these participants if you think uh, that social mm. phobia very very often has a dual diagnosis with Absolutely. with depression yeah wouldn't yeah. it hey like, it's very difficult to yeah be, you know yeah. we're in may already and people will think okay well 15 in each group it sounds very easy you know yeah you should have had that by Feb. right but it's, but it's not that easy you know we're in may now and we've yes. had nine people with social anxiety who qualified yes. for inclusion mm-hmm. and of those nine two already uh, uh, just decided uh, to stop okay. the one just got cold feet and the other one started with some other medication and she thought okay she's going to stop the, the right. study medication yeah. so um you know it's difficult it's actually quite difficult to get social phobia in isolation without substances or yes. Um, yes. without depression yeah. uh, within the, the, the 18 to 55 window. Right. Yeah. I, and I would also want to ask, because the person will have a diagnosis of social anxiety disorder, in itself it would mean that they will be wary of interacting with the research um, person who's conducting the research because of the nature of their diagnosis. But what I also want to ask is, would there be the fear that they will be in contact and kind of kind of exposed to other or other participants and the difficulty because of their diagnosis do you have you have you encountered that oh absolutely it's, you know, <laughs> it's not easy very isn't often it? from these participants oh, that, you know they couldn't pick up the phone and that yes. advertisements oh, before they just cannot pick up the phone to, to phone right you know and once they're there yeah uh, it's you know i i saw um i saw a patient uh, this week yes um she doesn't come out of the house. 
Right. Yeah. Uh, without, yeah. without taking, a, you know, a calming medication, a tranquilizer. Right. Yeah. And um, Shame. so I hooked her. She must come this week for all of her sessions because I'm worried that she might get cold feet. Yes. Um, it's so disabling. You know, I, I see it. I saw someone yesterday on Saturday yeah. morning. Yeah. Uh, she came in and she was shaking. Yeah, yeah, I'm um, sure. I'm sweating sure. profusely and blushing, yeah. and you know all right. the rest. Yeah. Uh, so, and and may I ask because mm. I think when you do this type of research, you probably have to have the psychologist who does the therapy if the person really has a very bad attack of of um, anxiety that they has to ethically there has to be someone who holds the heart of the person and takes them through that process. Oh yeah, you mm-hmm. know because because yeah. I see I'm a clinical psychologist myself, so yes. I actually have a lot of empathy with okay. with, with anxiety. Right. And because I see this kind of uh, participant so very often, yes. you know I actually know what to expect. Yeah. Uh, so you comfort them from the beginning. You get them tea. You make them sit down, and you know take their time. You explain everything. So, so you know, uh, and because it's a long session, you know, the yes. first one with me, yeah. uh, once they survive the screening and they come and see me, it's, yes. about a, it's a session of about two to three hours. So, right. you know, by the end of it, they're sort of um, much more calm and, and sure. open to the process and positive to continue that kind of thing. I'm sure. And just a question. So people must understand then that this whole process, the entire period of process will be voluntary on their behalf. Absolutely. It's mm-hmm. voluntary. They can check it out at any stage. Okay. It, it is confidential, obviously, so I won't call your boss and tell that you're participating or, right. or whoever. You yeah. know, it, it, yeah. it remains confidential. It's your choice. Okay. And is there, if people were to ask, are there any benefits from being a part of the program? And, oh, my goodness, we've got to take commercial news. Please hold the thought. You know, we will get back to you after the uh, commercial news. From Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape. 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 Shahida Kali and I'm speaking with Professor Christine Lochner. We're talking about research that's being done in her unit at the University of Stellenbosch. So, Professor, if anyone is interested in being a part of the research, are there benefits? And if so, what would those benefits be, please? Well, uh, from my side, there are many benefits. Mm-hmm. But from the participants' point of view, um, because the study includes a treatment, you know, intervention um, component, yes. which entails a medication, which mm-hmm. is already on the market for social anxiety. Mm-hmm. So we're not testing a medication. Very okay. importantly, we're not testing it, but we do use a medication called meclobamide, which mm-hmm. is the active ingredient, mm-hmm. and we we use it for eight weeks. Yeah. So the participant. You know, the, the social phobic participant can expect to have a reduction in their social anxiety. You know, mm-hmm. it's on the market for this condition, so it has been proven, 
proven by randomized controlled trials that it does work for social phobia. So, you know, in theory, the participant can expect to do better. All right. And and may I ask the um, intervention that is being given to the participant besides medication, will they also have psychotherapy at the time when they are a part of the process? No, not at all. So it's, it's, so it's only the medication? medication? And it's, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a lengthy um, pre-testing intervention post-testing type of process. Okay, uh, so the period the period in which the participant will be involved in the research would, would be roughly how long? It would be roughly about nine weeks. Okay. So it's about two, two months and a bit. Okay, all right. Um, where would this take place? You did say that they have to come for brain imaging, etc. So yeah. would it all be happening at the university? It will take place at Tigerberg um, Hospital mm-hmm. and the medical campus at Tigerberg. Okay, all right. And so who does one phone or contact if, if one was interested to be a, a participant? Sherry, you know, I think what would be best is if they email me, if yes. they've got email, it's cl2 at sun.ac.za. Mm-hmm. Um, or they can give me a call on 021-938-9179. Yes. Or they can contact the Mental Health Information Center mm-hmm. on 021-938-9229. Okay, I'm going to um, reiterate these numbers at a later stage. But for now, you know, if people people will probably be grabbing their pens and papers so that they mm-hmm. can write down the information. Let's talk about uh, social anxiety disorder and social phobia mm-hmm. so that we can, you know, alert our listeners in terms of identifying themselves as a possible participant really? for this um, research. So perhaps, you know, I'm going to go by the questions that you've actually um, sent to me. For me, the first question that you had said we'll speak about would be, what is social anxiety disorder according to psychiatric guidelines? Yeah, so, so social anxiety disorder is the latest uh, nomenclature uh, in DSM-5, which is our diagnostic manual. It was previously used, uh, known as a social phobia. So in, in short, people with social anxiety disorder get extremely anxious around others in everyday social situations. Um, they get really, really anxious beforehand even. Um, and they, they basically fear that they will act in a way or show anxiety symptoms that will be embarrassing or uh, humiliating. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, this girl that I saw yesterday, um, she was absolutely so conscious of her blushing, you know, and she mm-hmm. knew she was shaking. You know, afterwards she told me there's no way that she could have asked for a glass of water or coffee because her hands were shaking so much. Yes. You know, so, and, and, and secondly, People with social anxiety disorder, once they are exposed to these kinds of social uh, situations, um, you know, it sort of uh, elicits incredible anxiety, um, and they might even have a panic attack in those circumstances. Mm -hmm. And usually what they do um, is is avoid, 
you know, so they don't yeah. go out, they don't yeah. go to parties, they, you know, they never do an oral in class, yeah. they take a course at varsity where they don't have to do an oral examination, yes. you know, that kind of extreme avoidance. Yeah. And it's sort of, a, it's a chronic condition, you know, mm-hmm. it's not only in certain circumstances, it's usually chronic uh, where you see this as a child, they're quite shy, and then later on they, you know, they avoid dating or they find it extremely stressful, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, usually I see people when they struggle in the workplace, when they see that people get promoted above them and, and they do have more potential than their colleagues, you know, mm-hmm. or they believe they have more potential but they can't sort of manifest it. Yeah, yeah. And so... So you will only diagnose social anxiety disorder when there is a sort of impairment, you know, or, or um, dysfunction mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in everyday situations. Okay, so it becomes very difficult for them to live a normal life. That's what you're saying, because I think you refer to a lady who wouldn't even leave her house. Yes. Okay. I just, you know, as you were describing this, and I haven't really listened to the description the way it was just explained to me in this way, I was just thinking how difficult it must be to have a, a participant who doesn't have panic disorder as a, as a dual diagnosis, you know, really yeah. preempting, I'm going to have a panic attack, I'm going to have anxiety, and uh, which will then, de- you know, develop into panic disorder must be a biggie. It's, it's often difficult to, to decide, you know, yeah, is, yeah. is this really panic disorder or yes. is this social anxiety? But right. you would you would only diagnose social anxiety if the person has panic attacks in social, in situations, social situations and not other situations as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, was listening to you uh, describing the blushing and the shaking mm-hmm. and so on. And perhaps, perhaps, you know, to describe a little bit more of the symptoms so that people can identify more. I think you you very often see the blushing, particularly in fair-skinned people. Um, you know, that it is shame and the, the heat, the warmth that they mm-hmm. feel that floods their head. Oh, my word is so uncomfortable. But perhaps to speak about other um, symptoms as well? Well, I think those are sort of uh, the main things that you would notice. You mm-hmm. know, you won't notice the sweaty palms. Yeah. Or you might, even if you, you know, sometimes when I shake hands with yeah. participants, yeah. you know, I mean, you can feel the sweaty palms. Yeah. But I'd like for you to describe it because I think many people might not, might need for you to describe yeah. some of the, you know, that which, which are um, kind of the covert symptoms of yeah. social phobia, you know, that would include, for example, you know, heart palpitations and so on. But if you would, if you would, I really would appreciate that. Shaira, yeah. So, so on the surface, you would notice the the blushing, even the sweating. Yeah. Um, you know, some people sweat profusely when they get anxious. Yeah. Um, even you would uh, you would also notice, you know, jumping legs. You know, that kind of yeah. those people yeah. who don't sit still ever. They fidget fidget mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but then, some you know, some people also present with uh, uh, palpitations. Yeah. You know, they feel like their heart is jumping through their throat. Yeah. Um, their tummies turn around. They feel nauseous, even yes. uh, stomach aches. You know, for instance, there's a, there's a type of social anxiety disorder um, or a subtype that you would uh, only have in, in performance situations. Mm-hmm. So some people would be 
fine or yeah. relatively fine yes. with friends or meeting strangers, but once they have to do an oral presentation yes. or, or uh, do a talk in front of a class mm-hmm. or do a radio talk, you know, yeah. that would make them uh, heart palpit- uh, their hearts palpitate, um, yes. sweat profusely, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so um, you must understand that social anxiety disorder can often only present in certain circumstances like right. that. Yes. Um, and then they would have these typical symptoms of blushing, sh- sweating, uh, avoidance, uh, yes. that kind of thing. Okay. And when you say avoidance, of course, you know, referring to avoidance of circumstances that will mm. that will bring forth the, the anxiety. But do you, you also will find self-isolation? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, people with social anxiety disorder um, are usually lonely. They want yeah. to be with people. Yes. So if you're someone who enjoys your own company and you're on your own mostly, yes. you know, it doesn't mean you've got social anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, but if you're at home and you are desperately wanting to be part of a group or you want to join a group or you yes. want to date, or, yeah. but, you, but you cannot, yeah. Then, then you've got social anxiety disorder. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I often also see how the people struggle with um, initiating a conversation. Oh, absolutely. They yeah. will desperately, desperately want to say something or, or converse with someone, but they just cannot initiate it. They can be a part of it once someone else speaks with them, but it's very difficult to start a conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, in general, yeah. I think. It is hard for most people, yeah, you know. Yeah. And this is this is, I think, a classic of people with social anxiety disorder. They think that other people do this easily. Yes. You know, they think that everyone else is socially um, fine and and socially yeah. uh, okay and confident and so on. So be, they believe everyone is doing this with the greatest of ease, mm-hmm. which is total nonsense. Yeah. You know, most of us. It takes a bit of effort yes. to, to, you know, come out of our shell or right. to introduce yourself to other people or yeah. to make, uh, do, do a presentation. Yeah. I think most of us are slightly anxious in those circumstances, um. likely to more. Um, but people with social anxiety disorder would think they are the only people who struggle with this. Yes. Uh, and everyone else is fine. Yes. And I suppose there's a lot of um, self-judgment or the fear oh. of others judging them, isn't it? Oh, if I'm going to open my mouth, they're going to think I'm stupid. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And when they say something, you know, that one sentence or that one word yeah. will be evaluated and ruminated and evaluated right. afterwards. And, and yeah. mostly they will end up feeling terrible yes. or, or, you know, thinking that they're never going to open their mouths again. Yes. Yes, such how debilitating. I think I often, you know, um, when I interact with people with social phobia, it really it just elicits such sadness in a person to think that, you know, the person struggles so, so much. And it's it's quite sore. It is really sore for them. Absolutely. Mm. You know, and once you get to the age of 50. Yeah. It's very hard, you know, it's really hard. Then, uh, you know, one of our participants said, and I found it very sad, he said he has missed the boat, you know. um, He has missed the boat. He hasn't dated, he hasn't done the, you know, the the marriage, the kids, uh, that kind of thing, has missed the boat. You know, and and that sort of, that sums it up for me. Um, 
how much these people can miss out. Of course. Um, you know, the things that folk without social anxiety yes. disorder take for granted. Yes. Uh, I, I also think just the longing that they have in their yes. heart for it to be different, to feel different. Yes is also very, very hot. So, you know, so having described it, and I'm hoping that, you know, people will get a sense or kind of place them, you know, in the description that you've just um, described. I now want to also speak about your healthy participants. Who would they be? Well, healthy is always a relative term, right? Mm. Yeah, and this is why I thought it would be so critical to ask this question. Absolutely. So, um, we are looking for people to compare our uh, social anxiety disorder patients with. So, if we have a 30-year-old female Caucasian lady, yeah, female, um, with social anxiety disorder, we would obviously like to include someone similar, you know, yes. more or less that age group, uh, yeah. population group, but without social anxiety disorder, and they should be without any psychiatric condition. Okay, and so perhaps we, just a question, if you are saying Caucasian, if you can ex- please explain in, in normal English terms for our listeners, they oh, might not understand. Well, it's, it's, we, we see people of any race, mm-hmm. any, any color, any language, yes. but obviously we focus on Afrikaans, English, and we've got COSA uh, um, consent form, yes. so, and we will have a translator if need be. Okay. Um, yeah. We would like our controls to be com- comparable to our patients okay. in terms of sex or age. Yes. Uh, or population group. Yes. So at this stage, you know, beggars can't be choosers, so we screen everyone that call in. Yes. And uh, based on that screening, we invite them to come along. Yeah. And um, and then we do uh, uh, a similar, you know, the same same assessment that we do with patients. We do yes. with our healthy controls just to make sure that they don't have a current. They can have, you know, stuff in the past. They can, you know, they could have had. Um, depression or any psychiatric disorder in the past, any yes. except uh, schizophrenia, which okay. is just sort of a psychotic illness, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They should not be on medication, obviously, on, on psychiatric medication. Okay. I, you know, really, I hope that this discussion will educate listeners as well to understand how research isn't just easy. I mean, the first stage of just getting your participants, how difficult it is. It's quite a challenge. It is. It is very challenging. But, you know, that keeps it interesting. Absolutely. It's part of the process, isn't it? And then, of course, there's the the constant concern of, oh, no one must just drop out, you know, just stay. (laughs) So, So I really think, you know, when we're speaking with our listeners, we would want to say to them, when you do start the process, you know, and you become a participant, don't drop out. It, it's stunning that you can be a part of knowledge formation. Okay. I mean, they are part of, of creating knowledge and more understanding, isn't it? Oh, you're absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we have to take commercial news. I'd want to, for you to speak about the benefits, you know, of the research 
to the psychiatric community before we say to the because we've discussed a little bit um, the benefits to the participants I'd like for you just to speak about the benefits to the psychiatric um, and psychological community so that they can see how they're actually a part of a great body of knowledge but stay with us don't go away Welcome back. I'm Shahida Kali and I'm speaking with Professor Christine Lochner, who is the co-director at the MRC Unit on Anxiety and Stress Disorders, Department of Psychiatry at the University of Stellenbosch. We're discussing a research project and it is particularly focusing, this research project is focusing on social anxiety disorder. I think in the past mostly we would have referred to it as social phobia the extreme anxiety when you know that you have to interact socially and like uh, Christine Professor had mentioned sometimes you see this coming of fall when people have to present something or stand up in front of people and talk or deliver an oral. To encourage our listeners who are matched for this research project I ask the question of what is the benefit to the psychiatric community but actually the health professional community um, please if you would professor well Shahira, you know as I've said earlier it would be of benefit to the patients themselves because they can expect to get better you know yes. they have a reduction in their social anxiety mm-hmm. but to us um, obviously the aim you know any research project the aim would be to increase increase knowledge or increase our insights into how um, conditions work. Yes. For instance, with, with social anxiety disorder, we know that the thinking patterns of people with social anxiety disorder, it differs from people without, you know? Yes. So you and I uh, would interpret something totally different yeah. to how someone with social anxiety would. Mm-hmm. For instance, I would see someone frown I would just think, okay, they are concentrating. Whereas someone with social anxiety would think, oh, my word, I've offended them or, you know, they have a problem with me or they don't like me, that kind of thing. So so we know that their thinking patterns differ. This study is sort of focused on those neural networks, Mm -hmm. uh, the brain networks. And, And these networks, it actually refer to how parts of the brain communicate with each other and we think that these networks are different in people with social anxiety disorder compared to healthy controls. And we think that if people with social anxiety disorder are given a sort of a proven treatment for the condition, which is the myoclobamide, mm-hmm. these networks might change. But we want, to ch- we want to actually investigate this. You know, it hasn't been shown uh, before. So we, we actually investigate these possible changes by doing a bunch of um, tests beforehand, computer-based tests. Yes. And we do brain scans before and after the treatment. Okay. So with that knowledge, you know, hopefully we'd be able to say how myoclobamide works or how treatment in social anxiety works, how it affects these brain networks. Yes. Um, 
so that obviously we can choose the best treatment in future for, for people with this condition. Okay. You know, if we, the more we uh, increase that specific knowledge, the more we, we, we are able to develop the new treatments even. Right. I just want to ask, um, and again, as um, you know, you are chatting with me, these thoughts come mm. for um, you do the brain imaging then there will be the period with medication use and mm. then there will be the brain imaging afterwards I'm just thinking how stunning it would be to do brain imaging when whilst social interaction is taking place Absolutely. you know and and is that a part of the research or is that not possible at this stage well what we do uh, doing you know, before and after is, uh, is what we call an MRI scan, yes. and part of it is an fMRI, which is we look at uh, certain functions of the brain, yes. specifically how it works, yeah. and we do certain tasks while the person is lying in the scanner. All right. And some of it contains aspects of social, you know, emotional recognition, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So certain. Uh, brain areas might be more activated or underactivated yeah. in people with, with social anxiety disorder. So we test that, but we don't in vivo, you know, go out and and look at their interaction. Right. Uh, unfortunately, we're not able to do that, but yeah. we definitely do an fMRI. What a pity, isn't it? But uh, although I would say, I mean, we understand that when you have social phobia, just the thought of interacting socially can actually yes. bring about all those symptoms. Absolutely. All those areas are oh, activated, yeah. most definitely. Right. So, wow, it would be so, so interesting. I must tell you that I've been, you know, um, present where there was, where we looked at dreams and mm-hmm. how the brain changes um, yeah. at different times with, you know, within sleep and when the person is having a dream and so on. It is absolutely fascinating. It is so, it's all almost beautiful mm-hmm. if one has to put it that way i think you know neuropsych um and neuropsychiatry and psychology is very very interesting Definitely. just yeah i just f- for for now i think a question that i didn't ask that i almost feel bad to ask but i do have to ask is whether participants will be paid well you have to ask that question because i think a lot of people uh, are struggling, yes. you know. Uh, so, in terms of payment, obviously we can't pay participants. Mm-hmm. You know, we know a lot of people are very needy out there, so yes. offering them payment would sort of not be ethically correct. Mm-hmm. However, a transport uh, will be covered yes. as far as possible, mm-hmm. and you know, because we keep them there for a long time you know so three hours at a time is it can be quite lengthy you know yes. we, we keep them alive with coffee and tea and snacks if, if if requested right okay fine but i i suppose one has to like you've just explained when you are doing research then from an ethical uh, perspective one cannot have payment because it might it might influence people to yes. give you answers yes. um, that's not entirely true. Absolutely. So if, if our listeners can understand that it's actually from that point of view that payment would then be unethical. You know, that they can that they need to understand that. I think it's important yes. that they do. I think, you know, if for I'm going to again mention the contact details, perhaps 
anything else that I might not have asked that you might feel is important for you to still explain before we conclude our conversation? Sharida, I think I think you uh, you hit the nail on the head. I think you asked uh, everything that should be mm-hmm. known. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, I think a sort of a, a take-home message is that if, if if listeners are sitting at home and they're wondering whether they should make the call or, yes. or write the email, they should just do it. You know, yes. life you get one life. It's too short to waste it being anxious and and not living your full potential. Absolutely. You know, if, if one research study or one assessment, you know, even yes. if you don't qualify, we yes. won't leave you out in the cold. I will yeah. make an effort to make a suitable referral. If you don't qualify, yes. you know, we'll make sure you end up with uh, a person that you can afford um, with a, a, appropriate clinician. Okay. Even that if is... it's just a, a support group right. or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, so if you fall out, if you don't qualify, yes. um, you know, you will also benefit to some extent. That is really, really great. I, I thank you for having been a part of the program. After I'm going to take commercial news after that, I will then speak about the different contact numbers and email address that I have to um, mention on your behalf. For now, I'd like to greet and wish you well and all the best. And I really hope that there's going to be stunning benefit from this um, you know, conversation because I'm such a supporter and feel very passionate that we need to continue with our re- research in order to help people with mental health difficulties in the best of way. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Shaida. Um, I really hope the listeners respond favorably. Right. I, I sincerely hope so too. So, and also to promise, um, you know, our listeners that next week we'll speak about obsessive compulsive disorder um, and the research that's taking place in regard to that disorder. So, uh, Christine, thank you so much and all the best. You're welcome. Happy to uh, talk again next next Sunday. Great. Good evening. Bye bye. Goodbye. Well, then it's time for commercial news. When we come back, those numbers keep your pens and paper.